welcome to the Steroids Podcast with your host, Dan the Bodybuilder from Thailand. Steroids Podcast is brought to you by Ultimate Guide to Roids, 109-page ebook by Dan the Bodybuilder from Thailand. Now, for the first time in bodybuilding history, you have someone with no corporate interests and no obligation to please anyone, not walking on eggshells to not offend. Ultimate Guide to Roids gives you the information, the whole information, the whole truth, not a full truth and a half-truth. Full truth. Ultimate Guide to Roids gives you the keys to the Lamborghini, gives you the information, and lets you decide what to do with it. It's a crime this information has been suppressed this long. Now let's get on with the podcast. Okay. Welcome back to another episode of the Steroids Podcast. This is Dan, the bodybuilder in Thailand, and I'm here with my friend today, bringing a friend on the show, Coach Vigorous Steve. What's up, guys? Nice to be on the podcast. Vigorous Steve is a super open uh, resource about anabolics and about PEDs. Um, He's one of the people that I respect the most about talking about these things, so you guys are in for a real treat today. Uh, with the information that we're going to do. So we're going to get to the questions that you guys asked for this episode of the podcast. But first, um, I, wanna, I want you guys to check out Steve's Instagram, okay? At Vigorous Steve on Instagram. So you can see pictures of him, see who is talking to you guys, because um, that's really important. Uh, Steve, don't, one of the things that I think uh, a lot of times when you are trying to figure out information about this kind of stuff, you're thinking, who who is it that I'm listening to? You know, right. who and and especially on the internet, and you never know who it is that is given the information. Mm-hmm. So it's, it was usually the problem with the forums uh, when we were all coming up uh, before YouTube existed and the podcasts, of course, is that we only had bodybuilding forums, and everybody was there hiding behind an ad- avatar and a fake username. And you had no idea who you were getting advice from until one day they would post pictures and it would literally be half the size of you. They would be wondering like, oh man, I can't believe I took advice from this guy. So luckily yeah. now with, with, you know, social media and YouTube and Instagram and all that stuff, we can actually see what the people look like and if they follow their own advice or if they're full of shit. <laughs> so yeah. Everybody that wants to know if I'm full of shit or I have something to say can simply go to my Instagram and scroll down a little bit and look at some of the pictures. Um, and that will give credit or no credit to what I'm about to say. Yeah, yeah. And that's a good point, too, because, you know, a lot of these a lot of these guys, too, is now that people are showing their faces. Now you basically get these people who are saying, OK, there's enough there's enough information about roids on the Internet that mm-hmm. I can't say that I'm natural anymore. So I'm going to say, you know, I take roids, but I only take like two cc's per week. And, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so they're like, they're a wannabe fake natty, but they, they yeah. just know that they can't quite be a fake natty anymore. So they're right. a wannabe fake natty. 
Um, yeah, the, the problem right now is that people leave out half the details. So they say they're on, uh, let's say they're on a gram of steroids, but they leave out the insulin and the growth hormone and, uh, you know, the EPO and, and whatever else they're using. So they say proudly, like, oh, I'm only on 500 tests and, uh, and, and 200 uh, masterone. But they forget that they're also on a lot of peptides and, you know, SARMs and whatever. So it's, um, it's, it's very hard to find absolute honesty in this industry and um, even if people are 100% honest it doesn't really relate to the audience um, because everybody's use is different you know it depends on how hard they train how much they focus on their nutrition uh, how many years they've been trading the legitimacy of the product that they're using and their genetics of course you know how well do they respond to the drugs and the training and the nutrition and the supplementation etc so there's there's so many variables so you know the good thing about the internet now is that everybody kind of can give their advice out um and people can decide who they want to take advice from uh based on how they look or if they like the person if they sound knowledgeable um or if they uh, you know kind of uh, kind of uh, okay their uh, their drug abuse which is a lot of people nowadays they they just spew out a lot of information that or not information but they they're kind of like enablers. So they say, oh, it's okay to use, you know, a thousand milligrams of DNP or, or three grams of gear or, or, you know, a fuckload of insulin when in reality it's not. Um, mm -hmm. but, but for some people that kind of validates what they want to do and that leads to abuse. Um, so that's that's basically the, the problem that we have now is that everybody gets their abuse validated. And that's why we see so many complications nowadays in the fitness industry. Yeah, um, yeah. So speaking about that, like, what what do you like to use? What what have you used for for building up your body to where it is now? Um, yeah. and so so I've basically used everything besides EPO. Uh, that includes DNP. <laughs> I've used that too. Uh, whereas it was a be at a low dose of two hundred milligrams per day. After four days, I discontinued that because I didn't feel it was worth the side effects. Um, you know, nowadays I mostly stay away from underground labs because I feel that they're either underdosed, unsterile, or they use oils that are not suitable for long-term use, uh, the carrier oils that I, I mean, so most of the, the labs, they use synthetic oils like ethyl oleate, propylene glycol, uh, migliol, or whatever the fuck is, uh, you know, available for them uh, to put the raw powders in. And yeah. those, uh, those severely increase the C-reactive protein levels in the body. Um, which uh, yeah, I, I know you've done a lot of research on that, and so yeah. with the with the ethyl oleate, um, yeah. we I mean we're aware that some pharmaceutical companies do actually use that synthetic oil yeah. um, in their products. Exactly. But um, what so with with your research that you've done with how mm -hmm. it increases the inflammation in the uh, blood vessels, mm -hmm. um, how did you know how could a pharmaceutical company justify using that? So so there's there's two like loopholes. Um, ethyl oleate is not FDA approved in the Western world, but it is being used in Thailand. And of course, the FDA in Thailand might be um, not up to par with what is being used in the, the the American standards. So you won't find any any use of ethyl oleate in America or Europe or Australia. Okay. But Arachis oil, which is made from peanuts, so it's refined peanut oil. Is being used by Organon and um, I think Kalaneka, 
for their testosterone, androlone, and cystinone blends. And that also causes an adverse reaction in some people. Not everybody, but some people get an adverse reaction to the erogenous oil, and then their C-reactive protein increases as well. So I think it's, it's you know, the FDA uh, approved it, but it, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's suitable for long-term use. And again, these medications are usually dosed at, you know, one milliliter per week, um, yeah. whereas we use them at several milliliters per week. And, and of course, could for someone using it for performance enhancement. Yeah. So, so we, we use way beyond the recommended dose for hormone replacement or, or medical conditions. And that's how uh, your C-reactive protein will be able to increase as well. Um, so if oleate is approved in Thailand, um, a righteous oil is not, but of course, uh, you know, the pharmacies still sell uh, uh, DECA and, uh, and Sustanon, even though it's not technically FDA approved here. Okay. And, um, and those can lead to uh, severe uh, causes of uh, inflammation in the body, not only at the injection site, but also total uh, systemic inflammation, which can damage the inside of your arteries and lead to uh, coronary artery disease or plaque buildup. So it's, um, yeah, you got to be a little really knowledgeable what you use. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of people don't know about this. Um, so, you know, after I found out that, that some of these underground labs and even some of the pharmaceutical companies cause inflammation to the body, I stopped using those. So right now I only use a Bayer testosterone or Bayer Primo. Uh, which are both suspended in castor oil, which is completely harmless to the body. It, it sits in the depot very well after injection. It, castor oil matches the half-life of the enantate ester, so it takes about a week to be absorbed, uh, causing the enantate ester to be released a lot slower um, compared to ethyl oleate, for example, that absorbs in a day, and castor oil takes a week to absorb, which is closer to the half-life of uh, the enantate ester. And then, of course, Rodex, Rodex Medica has castor oil, um, and that's about it, actually. So, I'm, I'm for injectables, I'm kind of limited now to testosterone intake and uh, Primo. <laughs> Those are not too bad things to be limited to, though. Those are no. both great. Those are basically the bread and butter, and if you control your diet and your training, you, you know, honestly, you don't need more. Unless you want to do a competition, of course, and you might need some trendmasterone and, and halotestin. Um, you know, in order to win the show, but since I have no desires to compete anytime soon. So that's what, that's what you're using now. I was wondering, right. um, when, you, when you're on the, the come up, when you were giving, building your size, because you guys, if you look on Steve's Instagram too, he also has before and after pictures similar to me of when, um, he was, you know, much, much smaller than he is yeah. now. And you can see the difference. So from getting from that point to getting to now, you know, this point where, you know, you're lean and, and over, you know, 220, 230 pounds or so. Mm -hmm. um, how, what, what uh, chemicals were really important for you to getting, um, getting there? You know, I, I think as a beginner, I made the mistake of going high trend, low test, just like everybody, uh, uh, you know, around the time that became popular on the message boards and before YouTube came out. Uh, so I would do the 350 milligrams of test propionate and 700 milligrams of trembolone acetate with okay. uh, with 350 to 700 milligrams of masterone propionate um, so that's already a two gram cycle yeah um, that's super common too that's like yeah, a lot of people are right. doing that 
Right. There's people still do that until um, until you realize your blood work on trimbolone is not that good. And, uh, you know, you might get a little bit of inflammation and uh, anger management issues, sleep issues, uh, night sweat issues. And then after a while, you realize, like, you know what, I don't want to go through this shit anymore. I'll just do it with the compounds that my body seems to enjoy. But it took me a few years, to be honest. So, you know, I, I, I took high-dose test, high-dose uh, boldenone in the off-season. It always made me feel pretty okay, um, even though boldenone did give me a little bit of mental side effects. And then whenever I wanted to, you know, cut down the body fat, I would go for the usual low test, uh, high trend and master own cycle. And I, I did that for maybe five years. Of course, with blasting cruising in between and regular blood work and and that kind of stuff. And I, I used pharmaceutical and growth. You're remote. keeping the, those same kind of dosages of like something like 700 milligrams of trembolone per week with uh, matching testosterone and master owners? Yes, or so, so, so my trembolone dose got progressively lower over the years. Um, uh-huh. So, I, you know, you go to the GH15 uh, uh, a forum and they say it's okay to uh, do 700 milligrams of training and you try that. And of course, the training is uh, amazing, but uh, everything else in life is kind of shitty. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. So, the, you know, you do that for two or three cycles and then after a while, you're like, you know what, I, I don't think I enjoy this much uh, as much anymore. I might do two, 225 milligrams. And then it went uh, down to 350. And then the last trend cycle I did was 225 milligrams per week. But it's three times 75 milligrams. Um, and that was actually more than enough. So, you know, even though I was drug free for 11 years and, you know, trained pretty well and, and controlled my diet pretty well, I think once you go on steroids, you kind of open the floodgates for yourself. And you, um, because you don't have so much experience with the steroids. And at the time, the information was simply not out there. You kind of overdo it. So I fell victim to that, too, is you overdo it in the beginning. Um, Well, Andy, you want to figure out, like, what are these things? What can these things do for me? You want to know. Right. And everybody on the boards, they they talk so highly of it. You know, all training is amazing. And, you know, you recomp for for free and you can eat pizza, you know, that kind of shit. (laughs) Yeah. Which is true. Which is true. Which is true, yeah. (laughs) To be honest, you know, at a higher dose, yeah, trend, you know, you don't have to diet and then still get results. But of course, if you diet and you pay attention to your micronutrients and really train hard, you don't need that much, which I would have wished they would have said on the boards, which most of them don't. Um, so I would have, you know, instead of going from focusing on my nutrition and training so much as a drug-free athlete uh, to going into the steroids and kind of losing focus a little bit in that aspect. Um, so I, you know, it's, I see that with a lot of people, they, they go on gear and then they kind of think, you know, out of training and the nutrition is not that important for me anymore. Um, the steroids will do the work. Well, one other thing too was, um, you know, we're talking about these tremblone dosages, like 700 milligrams per week. Mm -hmm. So I, I have done that for, um, I've, I've done it, you know, for a short period of time and I decided that it was not fun, but like you said, the training was the most amazing training I've ever had because I could go yeah. and I could do like a chest workout at maximum intensity, maximum volume. And mm-hmm. then literally I only needed one day to recover in which I could do a back workout. And then the next day I could come back and do another chest workout and be beating my performance. Yeah, absolutely. With, with, if you want to do a push pull legs routine without days off, 
On Trenbolone, you definitely can because the recovery is so fast, and the recomp uh, effect of the of the micro of the nutrient partitioning is uh, is is so tremendous that even if you do half your workout in your nutrition wrong, you'll still get effect. That's what that's what I think is happened in the beginning because your your steroid dose is higher, and your you know the training and the nutrition is not as optimal. And then when you perfect your nutrition and your training, your supplementations for health, then a, a much lower dose goes a lot further. But it so it, here's seems, it seems we all have to go through this trial and error and then maybe get a little bit of a bad blood work shoved in our face uh, before we or, realize... Or, or penis problems. Yeah, penis, yeah, penis problems <laughs> and hair loss. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so yeah. this is what happened to me then, is, is that, you know, I was just like what you were saying about how when you first started you want to figure out what this stuff is all about mm -hmm. so you know after uh after five weeks on my first testosterone cycle right. i said you know this is not cutting it this is not what i was expecting and mm -hmm. so then i added trenbolone in at 350 milligrams per week wow. and you know yeah. after after you know the first week or two you know like my, my libido was like through the roof you know mm -hmm. and and getting like no reason no reason boners you know like nrbs right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then, and then out, out of nowhere, it just like completely vanished, dude. And like yeah. my, my ability, like, uh, like my, I started feeling a brain fog and mm -hmm. like my ability to, um, do sex was just gone. Yeah, um, it's a prolactin increase. Yeah. And, and that's, that's what I figured out was, was that I was basically, I basically chemically castrated myself. Yeah. And so then I took, um, I took Pranipexel. Um, and it went away. Right. Uh, and, but, but then, you know, Premipexel, it, it's not very fun. And so, and it doesn't really work as well as like Cabergolin works. Mm -hmm. And so then, you know, eventually I switched over to Cabergolin. Um, and then, you know, that dosage of Trimbolone at 350 milligrams per week or so. Yeah, I could pretty much uh, take care of all of those kind of like libido side effects or like right. performance issues. Mm -hmm. um, but then once I started increasing the trembolone dosage up again, up to like 500 milligrams per week or up to 700 milligrams per week, all of a sudden the cabergolin wasn't really able to overcome the trend all the way anymore. And, right. you know, those those uh, those libido issues start coming back, those uh penis problems mm -hmm. start coming back and you know you still have some function it wasn't like i was chemically castrated but the yeah, problem but it's is not the, not the 100 percent uh, that yes. you're supposed to get yeah yes and then a lot of these guys who uh because you know a lot of these big guys who they don't really have much to live for other than the gym which mm -hmm. you guys that uh you guys listening you know some of these guys who are the biggest guys that you see who are total freaks you know they really don't have that much to live for other than the gym and yeah. that can be one of the reasons why they're doing and the, they're and, doing. The, and the attention outside of the gym. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, and uh, so, you know, it's not uncommon for guys, you know, that are looking like science experiments like that to be running, you know, a gram of trembolone per week. And a yeah. common thing for them to say is, I have a dead stick. Yeah. Most of them will never admit it, but if you get them in a, in, a, in a room separately, then, yeah. And then the next question is, Steve, how can you help me with this? So we'll get off the get off the train, goddammit. Yeah, yeah, and and so that that's even with cabergolin. You know those guys mm -hmm. that are take, you know there's only so far that cabergolin can take you, and then you start raising up the dosage with that to maybe combat those libido side effects if you find them intolerable. And mm -hmm. then what happens then? You start uh, you know ruining your heart. 
Right, because the, the, the you know the, the dopamine antagonists they have a very negative effect on your heart, especially with long term use. Um, was it the valve uh, uh, enlargement in, or what? Yeah, it, it changes Interior. the structures. Yeah, the, the structure of the valve, right? So you got, you know, you're using a strong androgen to uh, to create an enlarged heart, and then Kamberger line to change the structure of your valve. <laughs> so what do you think is going to happen? That's a lot of backflow of, of yeah. blood, you know. So you're pumping blood, but it just goes in between the in, in between the heart chambers instead of into your uh, arteries. So, so these to me, those are some of the things that like freaked me out about yeah. trend use, mm -hmm. and you know, not to mention you know some of the other things like being aggressive and stuff like that, where right. you know I was too aggressive. It was just not okay. Well, um, mm -hmm. could you here. could you relate to any of those? And you know that now that you don't use it anymore either. For me, the, the the aggression definitely was the worst. I mean, I uh, I already have aggression issues when I was drug free, um, so you know the trend made that a lot worse. Um, people say you know when you drink alcohol, if you're already high, it will make it worse for you. But I had never experienced that. But when you use trembolone, it's usually in a case where you also restrict calories, and then I would just be pissy all day. You know, in a shitty mood, and especially when you drive or you're, you know, in a situation with a lot of people and they're being annoying, then you're super annoyed. So it's like there's a rain cloud over your head the whole day until you go to the gym, and then uh, then the sun comes out again for about an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah, but of course, I mean, we don't make money uh, in the gym, and we don't uh, we don't go out with our girlfriends or wives uh, in the gym. Um, so I prefer to be in a good mood the rest of the day, so I can be productive and loving and uh, you know a good person. So that's one of the reasons why I stopped. And I, I felt that I was getting the same results from a, you know, a, a decent dose of tests, GH and insulin, uh, which are all far healthier on the body than uh, synthetic uh, underground lab uh, trembolone with the heavy metals and the you know, kidney toxic uh, effects. Um, so I stopped three years ago. Uh, is your microphone okay? Yeah, I dropped out for a second. Sorry. Okay. Uh, yeah, so actually... You have quite a bit of experience with insulin, too. So insulin is one of those things where I haven't really talked about it a lot on this show because, mm -hmm. I mean, everyone already, know, already knows that, you know, that's not something that I'm into. But I know that you have experimented, again, with insulin extensively. Yeah. And I wanted you, and I know that you don't have, like, an abusive uh, perspective on it. So yeah. I wanted to, to get, you know, since I've been avoiding that topic on this show, Mm -hmm. I wanted you, uh, to ask you uh, if you could talk about um, the irresponsible use of it and the responsible use of it and uh, just, just give your full take on, you know, so that these guys can get some honest information finally that they can, they can feel like they're not confused anymore about insulin and its application in bodybuilding. All right, so let's, let's get this out of the way first. There's no responsible drug use. It doesn't exist. Drug use, by definition, is always irresponsible because you're playing doctor on yourself. You're not qualified, and I'm not qualified, and nobody else listening to this podcast is qualified to play their own endocrinologist. Um, so, by, by definition, drug use is always irresponsible, but you can make it um, as close to responsible as you can by doing your research. Um, so, what I see with a lot of people is they use insulin and then uh, they cover their insulin 
with carbohydrates to sustain mm-hmm. blood sugar levels, and I don't believe that's the right way to do it. I think the right way, or the you know the the safest way to do it, is to support your pancreas production of insulin to maintain blood sugar levels. So let's say you have a high glycemic carbs like uh, like white bread or rice or or uh, simple sugars from high branching cyclic dextrins or waxy maize that digests relatively fast and you can cover some of the carbohydrates from that meal with insulin besides what your pancreas is going to release um, to maintain a healthy level of blood sugar. Mm-hmm. Now we do that because once you get into growth hormone use and especially at a little bit higher dosages you always create a little bit of insulin resistance because growth hormone prevents insulin from attaching to the receptors. Yeah, so, and that's one of the first things you notice too when you start taking yeah. growth hormone is mm-hmm. instantly you, you, you don't get hypoglycemia anymore, barely ever. No, exactly, because growth hormone prevents some of the carbohydrate from being absorbed. Now you can combat that by taking insulin at the same time that growth hormone is active um, kind of like a double whammy. So a GH is blocking some of the receptors and then insulin attaches to the receptors that are still present and helps to maintain the healthy levels of blood sugar that way. Uh, this is usually, we start doing this when we go into the higher doses of gro- growth hormone, about six units, eight units per day. What is a better approach is to do one day of growth hormone and another day of insulin. So you alternate between the two because they attach to similar receptors. So if you want to go into the higher dosages of growth hormone, it will be better to do them post-workout um, in order to stimulate growth for a weaker body part. And the next day you supplement a few meals with insulin to provide the recovery and shut all nutrients into the muscle cell. So this way you don't lose insulin sensitivity because you don't use insulin every day and you don't uh, acquire insulin resistance because you don't use growth hormone every day. Yeah. And so you can do like three days a week of growth hormone, three days a week of insulin, and then Sunday or Saturday you go out with your girlfriend and eat whatever you want. So this is somebody who's bent on using insulin. This could be a way that they uh, they could help to prevent diabetes. Uh, yeah, not necessarily. Because diabetes is mostly has to do with insulin resistance. It doesn't have to do with insulin use. I think a lot of people that use insulin and abuse the carbohydrates that go along with it, they're the ones that develop uh, diabetes. But okay. it usually has to come from high doses of growth hormone and the insulin resistance that it causes, um, which, which tells your pancreas to produce more and more insulin until the beta, sept, uh, beta receptors burn out. And then they don't produce insulin anymore, and now you're diabetic. But you don't turn diabetic from just using insulin because you okay. help to maintain blood sugar levels and you take stress off the pancreas. So I have people who do not use growth hormone, use lower doses of insulin um, to help shuttle nutrients from their food into the muscle cell post-workout or, or even throughout the day um, just to stay more anabolic. Yeah, and, and so adding that extra um, insulin in, mm-hmm. how do you, how does that affect their insulin sensitivity? Because you know you're adding in more of a drug, and mm-hmm. then you know that would um, logically insensitize those receptors having you know extra. Well, so you don't have extra because you're supporting the pancreas. 
And the weird thing is, is because the, the insulin that you're injecting is such a steady release, it has a more positive effect on nutrient partitioning compared to what your pancreas is releasing. But you're supporting your pancreas's release. So let's say you inject 10 units of insulin. Now your pancreas doesn't have to release 10 units of insulin. So the net insulin per day that your pancreas releases or that you inject is the same. But you're getting the injected insulin at a steady amount over a stable amount of time, uh, whether it's a short-acting insulin in the Humalog, it's active for four hours, or long-acting insulin uh, for 24 hours like Lantus. You know, the net insulin releases, or the net insulin over the day is the same. Uh, just less comes from the pancreas because you're using some uh, in supplemental form. And that doesn't lead to insulin resistance. Uh, sorry, insulin, uh, loss of insulin sensitivity because it's, it's, it's the same amount of insulin. And your body has accurate, adequate time uh, to produce new insulin receptors once the insulin has worn off. Now, if you're going to the 200 to 300 units of uh, Lantus per day, um, yes, people do that shit. Yeah, then of course you're going to lose some insulin sensitivity because insulin is active the whole day, even when you're not eating. Um, so it keeps shuttling nutrients into the into the cell and uh, maybe even to the point where the cell is uh, oversaturated with glycogen and then it spills over into the fat cells. Um, and that's how you lose insulin sensitivity also. So when you're 100% glycogen loaded, the body produces less insulin receptors to prevent additional carbohydrates or glycogen from being stored in the muscle cell. And that's how you spill over because the muscle cell is full with glycogen. Now all the excess insulin that you have in your system will go into the fat cells and try to control blood sugar levels by putting glucose into the fat cells and that's how you get fat. So a trick of maintaining insulin sensitivity is to never be glycogen loaded, even in the off season. That, that's uh you know i don't think that's something a lot of people are doing that i mean that's very interesting here you say no they're they're they're, they're dirty bulking of course with the, as many carbs as they can but you don't need to be 100 percent glycogen loaded to be anabolic you just need to be maybe 50 percent because 50 percent glycogen loaded is incredibly amino acid sparing for energy production because that's what you want right in the off season you want to spare protein by the use of excess carbohydrates to supply the energy and that's why usually when we diet, we increase our protein demand because we start to burn more proteins during our workout as the carbohydrates are not there to keep us flat. So we can burn fat in the process. Okay. And so that's, that, that's when you're the most insulin sen uh, sensitive in, uh, during a contest prep or during a dieting phase because you're so glycogen depleted that your body is, is screaming for glycogen and, and produces as many insulin receptors as you can. And then, of course, the years of uh, apple cider vinegar, berberine, uh, cinnamon, uh, metformin can increase, um, you know, insulin sensitivity even more. But please don't use metformin when you're also using insulin. That is suicide. Ah, because it, uh, it'll rob all of your uh, glucose out of your bloodstream, correct? Exactly. And then you're going to sleep for a very long time. <laughs> okay. Well, here, here's, um, here's an, another thing about insulin I want to discuss is... Um, uh, we obviously all know that it's very powerful um, mm -hmm. because uh, if you've been going to gyms where people use PEDs, you see people use insulin and you see them literally in periods of 24 hours gain what visually looks like 10 to 15 pounds of muscle. 
Yeah, I don't ten to fifteen, but but yeah, at least at least two to three. But they blow up, and it depends on which insulin you use and how much food you're eating with that. But you know, it, it, some people can make tremendous uh, progress, especially if you use insulin pre-workout with some carbohydrates. Then you see people change over the course of an hour to go from flat to full as fuck in in after a few sets. So with something so powerful like that, that can make such um, huge visual changes in such a short amount of time. It, um, how important uh, is that really like in, in bodybuilding uh, to, to be using this? Because we all know that, you know, a lot of bodybuilders in the, in the old, olden days had mm-hmm. great physiques without using insulin. Right. And they um, also had a better muscle quality without using insulin. So right. even though this stuff is so powerful and people can obviously see Yes, it's very powerful. You know, what is the truth about using this stuff and, you know, well, bodybuilding? The, the difference between the 80s and 90s and now is that people abuse the fuck out of the drugs. So back then, they didn't have access to all the drugs we have now, nor, neither did they have the knowledge and, and the, the equipment to train hard. And, you know, so the science behind uh, developing a physique has, has improved tremendously in order to create freaks. Um, but if you want to be a freak, yeah, you'll, you'll lose some definition in the process because you're putting so much nutrients inside the muscle that calcification can occur, a loss of definition, uh, uh, a thickening of the cell wall, uh, you know, through, uh, through increased uh, or intramuscular triglycerides. It, it, there's a little thing that, that comes to play, and of course the hyperplasia that comes from, uh, you know, growth hormone use. It just the, the you know more drugs means a bigger physique, but not necessarily a, a higher quality physique. That's why I prefer, you know, the classic physique division. And for those of you that are scrolling through my Instagram page now, they can see the vacuum that I can still pull, even though I've used a decent amount of insulin in my life. I can still pull a vacuum because I don't abuse that stuff. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, would you then say that the insulin? Um, have, have you noticed that when you have used more or when you have used less, there's mm-hmm. been a difference in your midsection? Has that been a, a major factor? No, because I, I never went that high. When I say not that high, it might sound like a lot. So let's say if I use, uh, if I say I use 30 units of long-acting insulin Lantus per day, it might sound like a lot for people. But when you divide it by 24 hours, it's, it's 1.2 units per hour which is usually what your pancreas releases anyway, even on a ketogenic diet. Mm-hmm. And then some people, they say, you know, five units post-workout of Humalog, that's uh, not so much. Or 10 units Humalog post-workout, it's not so much, which I think is a lot, because 10 units in a, in a window of four hours is, is a lot more. That's two and a half units per hour, so that's twice the dose on an hourly basis compared to, you know, 30 units of Lantus. So it, it, it really depends on how you're using it and, and what, what kind of effect you can expect from it. Um, like a fast-acting insulin, I think it's more, um, especially at higher, higher dosages, I think it's more likely to store intra or visceral, visceral fat in the abdomen than a long-acting insulin does, simply because the dose at any given point of time is so much lower compared so, to a fast-acting so the, insulin. 
the fat inside when he says when Steve says visceral fat, you guys that don't know what that is. That means he's talking about the fat that is under the muscle inside around the organs. Right. So so when that'll make your entire gut bigger and not able to vacuum. Right. So you you got a, a nice coating around your organs and then it's very difficult to get that fat away because it's the last fat that goes away. And you'll have to do several several days of fasting just to make a small dent in the amount of visceral fat you have. Which, of course, when you say fasting, uh, bodybuilders lose their minds. So they'll rather take a gram of GMP per day uh, than, uh, than, than one day of no eating. Maybe that's a story for a different episode. Um, so for somebody, somebody that already has like a big, a big waist, mm-hmm. what, would be, what, what should they stay away from or stop doing in order to, to make that problem less? Well, first they have to figure out which foods they can digest well. So following a basic elimination diet, where you keep a calendar and, and you write down which foods digest well, which give you gas, which gives you acid reflux, uh, uh, under a constipation, uh, uh, you know, uh, just where you don't feel good after eating them, write that down and stop eating those foods. You will already lose a couple inches off your waist, guaranteed. Okay. Then, of course, reducing the food portions and spacing the water away from them will help also. So if you eat smaller meals more frequently, your stomach will expand less. And if you don't dilute your stomach acid with water, then the, the, the food digests faster. So you don't dilute your stomach acid and then, you know, you have adequate or you digest it faster. It goes into the intestinal tract. And then 30 minutes later, after you've digested that meal, you can drink water again. So now you optimize digestion. Of course, there's several supplements, like again, like apple cider vinegar or betaine uh, uh, hydrochloride with the pepsin um, uh, enzymes. Those help with digestion of food, especially proteins, and increase insulin sensitivity as well. And then uh, not abusing uh, androgenic drugs because their colon and in the intestinal tract and your organs have androgen receptors too. Mm-hmm. So when you use something like trimbolone or, or, or uh, you know, anadrol or whatever, especially orals, since they can already attach to the intestinal tract before they reach the muscle cell, yeah. that, that might cause a little bit of hypertrophy in that area as well. So the muscle is a very long, or sorry, the, the intestinal tract is a very long muscle that squeezes the food through so that has androgen receptors. And when the trembolone uh, or the anadrol or any other oral steroids uh, attach, yeah, uh, I mean, it's a muscle, so it's going to contract and hypertrophy a little bit. And that's how your gut is going to get bigger. So, so my, my way is I'm getting. The picture I'm getting from what you're saying is that um, it's it's a synergy of using too much of everything. But yeah, right. So you don't want too too strong or too high dose of steroids, not too much food, and definitely not too much fast-acting insulin. <laughs> okay. Or or growth hormone. I mean, growth hormone would would you know compound the, the issue even further because that's what causes hyperplasia. Um, for for that, clarification, uh, is is insulin and growth hormone is that the number one thing that uh, somebody would use those two things together and then they would experience columbalism? Uh, yeah, and, and food abuse. Okay. Yeah, and definitely food abuse because, I mean, it, 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 you still need to pass a lot of garbage through your intestinal tract uh, in order to store visceral fat. 
and, uh, and of course stimulates the colon to actually hypertrophy. So the more food you eat and the more growth hormone you use, the more hyperplasia will occur in your intestinal tract. And it doesn't go away, even when fasting. Mm-hmm. You need to fast for at least a month <laughs> without juice of drugs before your body starts to catabolize uh, some of the, the excess tissue that you've developed. So um, prevention is the right cure, I would say. Okay. That, I mean, that does a lot to clear that up because, you know, that that whole thing with insulin, it, it's there's a lot of mystery about it and also plumboism, yeah. having course, the, yeah. the big gut and everything. There's a lot of mystery that mm-hmm. goes with that. So if, I, think if I'm... Just- I think people are just overdoing it, you know, and when you hear Palumbo, what he did, you know, he was doing very high doses of growth hormone, insulin, and McDonald's every day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, McDonald's is not the best food source, uh, of course. Okay. So, uh, so yeah, that's what I'm hearing is that it's like abusing, abusing a lot of things, like not eating a clean, natural diet, you right. know, eating junk foods, taking too much, like, oral anabolics using too much growth hormone and insulin. It's like a synergy of uh, just being unhealthy, basically. Right. So I'm, I'm a little bit worried for some of the prep coaches in America that uh, uh, tell their clients to use four kind of orals together. Um, I'm not sure how long their waste is going to last. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay, so talking about orals, um, as I've known you over the years, I've noticed... Um, the three orals that you have seemed to favor are mm-hmm. Anadrol, Winstrol, yeah. and Anavar. Yeah, you can you can take Anavar or Winstrol off because I actually prefer injectable, but I'm always too lazy to uh, to inject because it's painful as fuck. So I, if I use Winstrol, it's like two or three weeks for a photo shoot, which is enough to get the cosmetic effect. But if I were to l- run it for a longer period of time, I would definitely... Uh, diluted with injectable carnitine and uh, inject the cc of winstrol per day okay and and uh so so what about what about anadrol anadrol i love anadrol it's it's a four-week love affair and after that my digestion takes a toll and then uh, <laughs> then I, then i stop because i get yeah. too much acid reflux and then a little bit of uncomfortable feeling and that's of course, uh, you know, by inta- the anadrol attaching to the androgen receptors of your intestines and all, passing the liver, uh, increasing cholesterol and bile acid production in the liver, uh, which then is dumped into the um, into the intestinal tract again, uh, you know, for you to poop it out. Um, what what the, causes that love affair for you? Well, the strength. <laughs> so the, the strength, the strength gain, the fullness, the round the fullness and the roundness and the, you know, the overall look that it gives is, uh, is, is amazing. So, you know, when I, when I take Anadrol and the glycogen storage is a lot better, so you can reduce your carbs by half and still get the same amount of fullness and strength in the gym, but your fat loss speeds up tremendously because you're eating less calories. So you're, you can train for two weeks without a, without a carb up. And then you still maintain or even progress in strength and maintain a decent amount of fullness. And then if you do carb up, it's maybe two or 300 carbs instead of 600 or 800. And then you're full again. So your, yeah. your, your caloric requirement goes down tremendously, which speeds up the fat loss, of course. Um, but, you know, the, the strength gain is, uh, is a lot more dramatic. And uh, I don't mind uh, being a little watery. Um, you know, I'm not that... Uh, 
I'm not that vain that I can't look at myself in the mirror or less I'm shredded. So, you know, a little film of water around my skin is, uh, I don't mind compared to the strength gain and the roundness that I get from Anadrol. But it's I, a four-week four week thing and then I, then I have to stop. <laughs> I keep hearing you say strength. And so I, I think that, that that seems to be a big part of what, of what you're liking it for. And yeah, I, would, I would absolutely agree with you, man. The difference that I feel on Anadrol in the strength department, and like you said, with, without having to increase my food, it's mm-hmm. like it's like a it's like a power from within that develops right. in my muscles. Like, like they just feel like they um, they you know they, the cords of the fibers turn to steel, and they have this power coming from within, this driving power mm-hmm. that before I didn't have. It's like taking yeah. taking some kind of Superman pill or something like that. No, I know. So I, I think it's one of the better performance-enhancing drugs. It's not necessarily a cosmetic drug like Anovar. That's more cosmetic. Um, but, you know, the glycogen storage and the mineral retention that comes along with Anadrol, you know, the calcium, magnesium, potassium, and sodium that gets retained inside the muscle tissue causes so much extra energy uh, through the proton pump or the contraction ability from calcium and magnesium inside the muscle that it that it... Yeah, I mean, you know, as as long as you eat a little bit of carbs and then, you know, keep a constant electrolyte intake, it's um, it's one of the better steroids you can take. But again, it's a, a two to th- two to four weeks, and then uh, your digestion is kind of ruined. Yeah, yeah. The also the some of the health effects of this one can be, especially as the milligram. I mean, I'd say, would you say that three three per day, three anadols per day, is like the cap? Because for me, in my experimentation with it, mm-hmm. um, 50 milligrams per day is good. 100 milligrams per day is better. And then yeah. 150 milligrams per day is like insane. Mm-hmm. But then, I, I mean, there's absolutely a time limit on how long I can do that. And like yes. you said, it's a few weeks. So, so I, 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 t- I told my dose is just down a bit. So I've never been over 50 milligrams of Anadrol per day. Okay. Because right now I paid so much attention to my electrolyte and, and, and carb intake and, of course, the synergy between the you know, long-acting insulin and the growth hormone um, tremendously enhances the effects of Anadrol. So I, I've reduced my steroid intake by quite a bit because I pay so much attention in the other aspects of my bodybuilding. I mean, I don't miss a meal. I don't miss, you know, all my, all my nutrients are completely laid out for the day ahead. Um, and of course, I don't miss my my, my peptide injections. Needless to say, um, and that enhances the effect. So I, I never felt the need to go beyond fifty milligrams of Anadrol per day. Um, oh, the, the, the only time I really did that was for carb loading, and then uh, oh, then it's three hundred milligrams per day. You know, one you know, <laughs> yeah, twenty five milligrams with each meal, and then you have twelve meals or ten meals. So you end up with 250 milligrams uh, of Anadrol for three days uh, leading into a photo shoot or, or you know, picture time. So that's the only, uh, the only scenario where I went over 50 milligrams and then it's only three days, um, which doesn't, you know, doesn't cause that much uh, impact on your liver from what I've seen. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, you know, when I was reading the manufacturer's insert on the pharmaceutical grid Anadrol, you know, it said you could take between one to four milligrams per kilogram uh, of body weight of Anadrol. And so I, you know, when I first experimented with that stuff, um, I bumped it all the way up to 300 milligrams per day because that was less 
than what the manufacturer's insert said <laughs> yeah, was right. the maximum prescribable dose. And when mm-hmm. I did that, let me tell you guys, I got very, very strong for those 10 days, okay? But I could not eat a thing. I could eat about <laughs> one meal a day, and I couldn't even get out of my bed, you know? Right. And my, my eyes turned bloodshot red. You know, I was so sick, and that was such a horrible experience. No, I can imagine. So that's a, now you know how the powerlifters feel peaking for a powerlifting show. Um, that's a, that's straight up anadrol abuse from all the powerlifters that I know. Is uh, oh, you only take one? No, that's breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> Would you say that in your experience, it's the most effective strength drug? No, that's that's definitely super draw. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because, as long as you eat, right? Because because I've noticed that superdrol is much more um, dependent on needing food in order to yeah. function with that strength than right. anadrol is. But it's also far more toxic. So anadrol is like a two week uh, love affair, and after that you you like with with anadrol you don't feel it in your liver, but with superdrol you definitely feel it. You get like pain on the on the right side of your intestine. So. Yeah, super draw. Yeah, I haven't touched that since it came out in, in as a pro hormone, and then I ran it twice, and then I threw away the rest because uh, I was like, oh, "This this shit is not good for my body." <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's uh, you know for me longevity is is more important now, so I stick to pharmaceutical grade test GH and insulin, and run uh, maybe some Anadrol or Anavar once in a while, and uh, and that's it. You know, in primo, if I if I feel I uh, if I'm lean enough, which right now I'm not, but maybe uh, maybe in a couple months when I'm lean enough, I'll add some primo, and then uh, then you can see the cosmetic effect because it's not so much an anabolic, but it's more a cosmetic drug to give you those uh, movie star uh, good-looking muscles. Yeah. What? So, what do you think about uh, primo and uh, as a replacement then for for trembolone? Uh if your wallet allows it, <laughs> because, you know, 100 milligrams of Primo, you know, even even if you go to Turkey to get it, it's still uh, three euros per ampule, uh, three dollars per ampule. And if you, you know, if you buy it here in Thailand, it's, well, I think the cheapest is around 200, so divided by 30. So that's almost seven dollars per ampule. Mm-hmm. And then if you want to run a gram per week, that's uh, seventy dollars. That's four point five. That's three hundred fifteen dollars per month. Yeah, which is uh, yeah three consultations, guys. If anybody wants to see me on Primo, give me a call, a uh, one-hour consultation, and I only need three guys to support my uh, my Primo habits in the future. So, <laughs> so what, what kind of uh, dosages uh, do you favor with that? Uh, I, I like the same as a testosterone dose. So right now I'm on a gram of testosterone per week, and I would immediately add 1,000 milligrams of Primo per week on top of that. Okay. And what would what would that do for you? Uh, what effect would that have on your training, on the way you look, the way you feel in the gym? It, it basically polishes your physique out. So uh, let's say you take your dirty car uh, to the to the car wash. And you run it through the car wash, and you put the you know the buff on it, and you polish it off. And your car looks uh, brand new with all the detail and all the shine. That's what Primo does. So it doesn't make you any bigger, maybe a little bit, but it just puts the polish on your physique. So everything looks a little bit rounder, a little bit more detailed, a little bit more separated, cleaner lines, a little bit fuller look. And the good thing is, 
because Primo holds a little bit of water in the joints, similar to Nandrolone, um, you know, you get some performance enhancing out of it. So, you know, training will, will training with heavier weights feels a little bit more safe. Mm-hmm. But you don't get as watery as Primo or as, uh, as Nandrolone. So let's say a thousand milligrams of Primo would give you the same effects as what a hundred milligrams of Deca will do. Um, so that's an added benefit without the added water. But it's it's I, I see it purely as a cosmetic drug. So I wouldn't use it if I'm over eight percent body fat, which I'm now probably ten percent. Um, so I would wait until I'm at least below eight percent body fat. And if I have $320 of income to spare, <laughs> so, and then I would use it. Yeah. And, and how long would it, when, when you added in a thousand milligrams like that in, mm-hmm. in a week, how long would it take for you to start seeing and feeling those changes? About a week. About one week. Yeah, about one week. And then of course the, the peak saturation, you'll reach that within about six weeks. And then you can safely run it for as long as your blood work is good. So for some people, your, their blood work is good for eight weeks. And some people, it's three months or maybe even six months. So if your blood work is good and you know how to fix it and you like Primo, you can afford it. Run it for as long as your blood work is good. could be six months. What do you think about the, the metabolic effects of Primobolin? So one thing that I, I noticed with mm-hmm. Primobolin, in addition to the... Um, the appearance effects and also the strength effects when I took it at that those higher dosages like you were talking about 700 milligrams per week 1000 milligrams per week mm-hmm. but for example when I tried 1400 milligrams per week honestly yeah. it didn't do shit compared to 1000 milligrams per week no, for me that so seems like the tap out dosage yeah um, you, you got to remember that, that you only have that many androgen receptors so Let's say you take a uh, thousand milligrams of testosterone per week. You 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 know testosterone increases the amount of androgen receptors that you produce uh, through the RNA description. So by taking testosterone, you create additional androgen receptors which you can attach other steroids to, or more testosterone if you prefer. So let's say if you take a thousand milligrams of t- uh, test, you might have uh, enough androgen receptors extra for another thousand milligrams of something else. Mm-hmm. So if you take beyond a thousand milligrams of something else, they're not going to attach to your muscle cells anymore. They're going to attach somewhere else. So that's it's it's androgen spillover, as we call it. You know, you can spill over your glycogen, but you can also spill over your androgens into receptors in other tissue, like the brain or the intestines or your skin. It's another problem of drug abuse: is the thickening of the skin. Mm-hmm. Because they take so much strand that it doesn't attach to the to the uh, muscle cell anymore, but attaches to the skin as well, and now you get growth of the skin. So nobody's uh, in shape. <laughs> yeah, you, you think, different you subject. Know, yeah, different subject. But just uh, riffing on that for a second, do you, you know, I noticed that some bodybuilders have thick skin on the front mm-hmm. of their faces and on their necks. Yeah. Um, would you Would you think Trembolone? is uh part partly you know obviously growth hormone is but yeah well, well when i when i when i think thickening of the skin from androgens it's mostly around the arms and the back and the legs and when you see you know thickening of the skin in the extremities like the face the hands or the feet um that usually has to do with liver uh, problems liver complications okay. and kidney complications because your hands face and your feet are so far from your kidneys and your other organs 
uh, and the blood flow is so reduced because the, the calipers and the blood vessels are so thin um, that it's easy to deposit toxins and, and water and, and all that stuff in those areas. So I'm sure a lot of people notice that, you know, they go out to a hotel buffet and they eat a fuckload of uh, salty foods that the next day their hands, their feet and their faces puffy, right? Yeah. Because they took too many minerals for that day or too much uh, MSG or whatever they found in the hotel, too much sugar or whatever. Um, so let's say your organs don't function correctly and they can't filter out those toxins. They slowly get deposited in the hand, the face and the feet. And then uh, over time, uh, you know, the face, the hands and the feet start to atrophy or the hyperplasia and then you get this weird look on your face and your hands. But it's usually the face where you can notice it the most. So they get extra cheeks that aren't supposed to be there or, or, or extra chin or neck, uh, like you said, or the ears start to look a little bit weird. And that's usually, uh, uh, you know, uh, an early sign of uh, uh, fatty liver disease or uh, or kidney failure. So, so for a bodybuilder, you know, trembolone obviously is is going to be um, significant in kidney failure because it makes the protein just it won't leave your body, and then the kidneys right. have to keep on reprocessing it over and over again. Mm-hmm. But um, what 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 about the the liver failure? What what do you think would be going on there? It depends on what you use. I mean, it's it's if you use multiple compounds for a long period of time, and you don't detox your kidneys with either health supplements or by taking fiber or enough water to filter out the toxins through your kidneys, then it just it's just going to build up in your body. Mm-hmm. And, and the more it builds up in your body, the the you know the, the more your body tries to process them out. But if you don't give the right supplements or water or nutrients or whatever to filter them out it's, it's, it's just going to keep creating the same effect but you keep taking uh, uh, steroids that produce more and more toxins so now you're just getting toxic on the inside and, and since then, the the liver is the body's detoxifier right uh, it's building up over time right so you, your liver dumps all the most of the toxins in the bile and then of course the bile acids go into the colon and they need to bind the fiber so you can poop out at least the toxins and some of the bile and some of the cholesterol that's in the bile. Um, and if you don't eat enough fiber, 38 grams per day, then you're not optimally detoxing your uh, your liver. And it's the same with water. If you're not drinking, you know, at least at least four liters of water per day as a bodybuilder, you're not detoxifying through your kidneys at the proper rate. And especially if you limit sodium intake. Because sodium is the main uh, mineral that pulls water through the body. So if you want water in a certain place, sodium is going to go there first, and then it pulls water into that area. So if you want to pull water through your kidneys, your sodium intake needs to be a lot higher than what is uh, recommended of uh, 1,500 milligrams per day. I mean, I eat 5,000 milligrams, 6,000 milligrams of sodium per day in order to pass water through my kidneys so I can detoxify my body. And I eat 50 to 80 grams of fiber per day. Yeah, 80 grams, it's a lot, but my body is used to it. To detoxify my liver. And then, of course, you take, uh, you know, choline, you uh, you know, to help with the healing process. And maybe, uh, you know, a little bit of N-acetylcysteine to support your kidney and liver um, with glutathione production, etc., etc. But all those, all those little things, they contribute to your, you know, to your health so by taking less drugs and, and optimizing your health 
um, you create less side effects and less possibility that you end up killing yourself. <laughs> Which yeah. is, for bodybuilders, is a very slow and long process. You know, it's the same as smoking. You can smoke for 30 years and not have anything, and then suddenly you start coughing, and the next year you have lung cancer. And it's the same with bodybuilders, but they usually die of a heart attack. That's a really good analogy. I haven't heard anyone use that before, but that was a really good analogy. Yeah. And, and this, what you're saying, like with the the um, synthetic oils too, and the inflammation over time, and then you know the high blood pressure from using steroids, you know, mm -hmm. and and like all these things making this long, slow ticking. Increase the cholesterol block. production, the acidic blood, which leads to a, a leaching of calcium from the bones and into the bloodstream to re regulate your pH level. It's, it's, it's basically, steroid use is, you're, you're basically trying to actively kill yourself, <laughs> unless you know what you're doing, and you try to prevent all the side effects and, 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 and changes that steroids cause to your body. It's, um, it's, it's not very healthy, to be honest, but if you, if you read up on what each steroid does to the body, and, and you learn how to combat some of the side effects, or, or mitigate them, uh, then you know you're almost at responsible usage, but by taking steroids, by definition, you're, you're harming your health. And there's, you can minimize the, the the harmful effects of your health, but you can't avoid them. Otherwise, mm -hmm. hormone replacement doctors would not be able, or would not be doing having you do blood work all the time, and and monitor your health uh, every three months. Yeah, you gotta be, you gotta be, uh, no, be honest with yourself about what you're doing. Right. And and you also got to think uh, another thing that I make sure that I keep this in my mind as I use these things is, you know, what would people who love me think, you know, if they knew everything I was doing with this uh -huh. and keeping it somewhere reasonable in that. So because, you know, sometimes if you just think about yourself and what you're doing, you can do stupid ass shit. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> And, and you know, I've done plenty. <laughs> but but if you keep in your mind, you know, you know, like with with you, you know, you're married, so you think, you know, what it, you know, would my wife, you know, if she knows right. everything that I'm doing, that, or you know, if you say like, if my parents, you know, knew everything that I was doing, you know, would they, you know, be very sad, or would it be something that they were thinking, okay, we can live with this? Yeah, no, it's mostly my wife because my parents definitely aren't saints. Um, so, so no, but I, I got a lot more health conscious since I met up with my wife and, and of, of course when we were in the relationship because I realized, you know what, I, I've, I met a very good, good and, and person for me and, and me for her um, and I don't want to ruin it by ruining my health for my own selfish uh, muscle ambitions. So mm -hmm. I, I, I reduced it quite a bit and uh, you know, I stopped using Trimbalone for that reason because I didn't want to be, you know, a selfish asshole around my wife. So mm -hmm. I stopped using that four or five years ago when we got into a relationship. And, um, and I, I keep my drug use moderate for what I think is moderate. Um, you know, I do blood work at least every three months to make sure everything is on track. And I've done it last year almost every month while I was on a cycle for nine months, which consisted of mostly testosterone. Um, so yeah, I, I keep active track of what I'm uh, what I'm doing uh, with my body, and that includes not only the blood work, but also the the monitoring of the heart, the kidneys, and the liver with echocardiograms, ultrasounds, and that sort of stuff.
Yeah, you did a really interesting experiment about a year ago where you did a, a cycle with using, you know, 10 milliliters of testosterone per week, you know, 2,500 2, milligrams of testosterone per week, which we all know is, uh -huh. you know, for big freaks out there who are, you know, pro bodybuilders and the like, yeah. you know, this is what they do. Is doing no, it was two, two grams, not 250. It was two, 2,000. Okay, it was two, 2,000 milligrams. Okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, these kind of dosages are what these guys do. So, you know, since you do take your blood work like that all the time, you know, I'm mm -hmm. really interested to know when you did such a cycle like that, how did it look? So it looked exactly the same as when I was doing 500 milligrams. Wow. The only thing that really changed was my uh, cholesterol supplementation. So at 500 milligrams, I used citrus bergamot, which is enough to keep your cholesterol and LDL in range. But at a higher dose of steroids, you know, more steroids tell your muscle cells and liver cells and, and, and other cells of the body to produce more cholesterol. Um, so you have to block that process a little bit by taking uh, red yeast rice, which is basically a natural statin. So I went from a thousand milligrams of citrus bergamot to 1800 milligrams of red yeast rice, which is probably four times as potent, just to keep my cholesterol levels in range. Um, okay. My liver enzymes didn't really change. Uh, they went up a little bit, but it's mostly because of training. Because, you know, training on 500 tests compared to 2000 milligrams of tests, um, yeah, 2000 milligrams is going to be a lot more intense, a lot more volume, a lot heavier weight. So uh, I was training twice a day. so. Your liver enzymes and uh, and your uh, you know CPK levels go up tremendously uh -huh. when you train more. But my liver enzymes didn't move that much, maybe ten points. So the, the main CPK the main almost thing. doubled <laughs> because I trained twice as much. The main thing was the cholesterol. Then is so that went up from yeah. using the high dosage testosterone. Right, but I was able to keep it close to the healthy range with stronger. Uh, cholesterol supplementation. Okay, and so then, um, other than that increasing, do you attribute those, you know, that relatively safe, uh, I don't want to say safe, but that relatively non-alarming um, blood work changes, mm -hmm. do, you can, do you attribute that to it being the natural bioidentical hormone? I think so, yeah, because my body knows how to synthesize it, or, or, or at least use it. Um, because it's, you know, testosterone is what you produce naturally, but now you use it in a surplus, of course. Um, and I was able to make the changes when, um, when they, when they happened. So I noticed that my cholesterol was changing. So I increased my uh, supplementation to improve your cholesterol levels, you know, and I changed my diet a little bit, increased my fish oil to remain, uh, you know, a healthy level of HDL, even though it was only 40 still much better than 20 when you was in, uh, you know, DHT-based steroids or Trembolone or whatever, uh, because those suppress HDL uh, far worse than testosterone does. And of course, I went from 250 to 500 to 750 to 1,000 to 1,250 to 1,500, and finally to 2,000 over the course of almost 11 months, where first I was on a cruise for 250, so I don't really count that as a cycle. So between the start of 500 milligrams and ending up at 2,000 milligrams was about eight eight months, and then I mm -hmm. reduced the testosterone to 1,500 milligrams and added in Winstrol and took some pictures, which are now spanned all over my Instagram page. <laughs> uh, awesome. So so what? So the the health effects then 
were for being on a high dosage cycle, mm-hmm. they were fairly minimized in comparison to other um, anabolics. What was the, yeah, the training like and, and what was um, your metabolism like? How, how did it feel when you would eat food and when you would go to the gym? Um, I mean, uh, you know, 2000 milligrams, it feels like you're on trend. Really? Training. Yeah. It feels like you're on trend, but when you go home, you don't have the aggression and the night sweats and the insomnia that comes along with trend use because you're, you know, the more tests you use, the more androgenic effect it will have. So in the gym, I felt like a God, of course, should be for 2000 milligrams of uh, fucking hormones in your body. Um, so I ended up training twice per day, six times a week. Wow. So I was getting leaner and leaner and leaner without doing basically any cardio besides a little bit of pausing practice post-workout. And, and of course, when you train two hours per day, two and a half hours per day, uh, you know, on, on, what was it, 3,000 calories, you, uh, you get lean pretty, uh, pretty fast. Yeah, that's kind of a low amount of calories for that um, strong of a testosterone dosage. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I mean, let's say if I increase my calories to 5,000 or 5,500, I would be uh, a lot more anabolic on, on, uh, on 750 milligrams of test because food is more anabolic for muscle growth than the actual hormones are. But when you reduce your calories, I think it, I ended up at 2,500, you know, your, your hormones must go up in order to maintain strength, size, and, uh, and anabolism. So you can, there's a very safe, safe and easy rule. Let's say you take your weekly uh, milligram dose and add it to your uh, calorie dose per day. Uh, let's say that the total is 7,000 um, or 5,000. And, you know, you eat 3,000 calories and you take 2,000 uh, grams of uh, uh, gear per week. That's 5,000 total. And if you increase your gear to, uh, or you, you increase your calories to, 4,500, and you only need 500 milligrams of gear. Of course, it's a bit of an arbitrary number, and you have to make a little bit of adjustments to that, but it's, it's as simple as your calories go up, your hormones can go down, and when your hormones, uh, or when your calories go down, your hormones have to go up in order to sustain uh, muscle mass and size and strength. Mm-hmm. So, so with the, the high testosterone dosage too, is everybody mm-hmm. uh, creates estrogen in different amounts. And so a lot yeah. of guys are scared of using these high testosterone dosages like this. You know, a lot of people want to be using 250 milligrams of testosterone or 500 milligrams or so. And, mm-hmm. and you know, they, they don't want to go above that. Some right. guys, they don't, they don't create estrogen when they get on a lot of testosterone. But a lot of guys do. And so right. for me, me particularly, I am one of those guys that creates a lot of estrogen mm-hmm. from testosterone. Right. So if I take a thousand milligrams of testosterone per week, literally taking 25 milligrams of exomestane aromasin every single day, mm-hmm. I will have high estrogen levels. That's just oh, the wow. way it is for me. Okay. Um, and, and so but have, have you been on pharmaceutical growth hormone for a long time or not that much? You, you used it for almost a year, right? I, I did use it for a year, but then um, off of it, I mean, just my whole life, I'm mm-hmm. a very high aromatizer. Okay. Um, so, so for me, um, now how I figured out how I can use those high dosages of testosterone, you know, one gram or, or more per mm-hmm. week is letrozole is the necessity for me. Oh. That, that is the, the key. And I wow. feel, I feel great on it. Um, how's your cholesterol levels on the letrozole? 
Uh, well, because I create so much um, estrogen from testosterone uh, mm. that my cholesterol levels are actually, they're, they're great. They're in the normal range. Okay, that's good. Yeah, that's uh, good. So, so that's result for me, it really, and Arimidex even, it ruins my cholesterol. Um, so I take also Eximstein, aromacin, but for a gram of test, I take uh, 12.5 milligrams aromacin per day. So that's literally half the dose you take. Okay. Um, but I've been on pharmaceutical growth hormone for almost five years. I haven't used it almost at all this year. I maybe one pen. So I think I've used a total of 30 units this year, simply because I have a house to pay for, uh, and I want to spend, um, I want to spend money on my mortgage and not so much on growth hormone. Yeah. <laughs> so, so let's pay off the house first, or at least uh, get into a better, uh, you know, uh, mortgage percentage for the for the bank, and then I'll use growth hormone again. But prior to that, uh, prior to this, I used growth hormone at least two units for five years straight, pharmaceutical grade, mm-hmm. and I feel that that really reduced the need of uh, aromatized uh, inhibitor for me. And I've seen wow, that that's really interesting. Of, yeah, I've seen that with a lot of other people too. Somehow the, the long-term use of growth hormone, even when you discontinue it, it, uh, it reduces the need for uh, aromatized inhibitors. Would you attribute that to anything or just an anecdotal effect? I, uh, that's purely anecdotal and from what I've seen with me and some of my clients. Uh, the literature is literally not there because I tried to look for it. Mm-hmm. But it's just from what I've seen. Yeah. Uh, I have no idea why. Maybe, maybe the testosterone, because you create so much hyperplasia and extra androgen receptors on the muscle, the testosterone uh, preferentially uh, attaches to the androgen receptor instead of uh, getting stuck in the aromatized enzyme. Mm-hmm. That's that's the only speculation I could uh, give you. But that's what I've noticed because I used aromatized quite a bit in my earlier years, so I would never be able to go over 500 tests. Uh, with one milligram of Arimidex, you know, three times per week. So that sounds like back then you were st- kind of more like me. Yeah. Yeah, and then over the years when I use more and more growth hormone, um, it, it, it reduces, you know, the, the, the effect of aromatization. But it could also be because I pay more attention to my, uh, you know, uh, my, my micronutrient intake over the last five years. So maybe maybe that has some sort of suppression on uh, aromatized enzyme as well, because I think a lot of the negative side effects that are associated with with steroid use are also due to micronutrient in def- uh, deficiencies. You know, vitamin B6, uh, for example, has a, has a has a suppressive effect on prolactin levels at higher dosages. Uh, boron uh, at three to six milligrams per day can suppress your sex hormone binding globulin, so you have more free testosterone available. You don't need to use provitamin. All these little changes, you know, uh, carnitine uh, produces more androgen receptors and allows fat to be absorbed into the muscle cell. And all these little changes of, of micronutrients or, or, or supplements can greatly enhance the effect of, uh, of the anabolics or performance-enhancing drugs that you take. Yeah, so when you were on the, the high testosterone cycle... Uh, the two grams. What what kind of anti-estrogen supplementation were you using? So then I was also using aromacin, and then I was using uh, 25 milligrams per day, and then I would take on uh, I would inject four times a week. So Monday, uh, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and then on Monday and Thursday I would take an additional 12.5 milligrams. So let's say I was taking six, or sorry, eight tablets of aromacin per week in okay. order to keep my estrogen around 50 to 55 
uh, micrograms per milliliter. So right at the top yeah. of the high normal range. Yeah, and I, I prefer the estrogen to be a little bit over the normal range because estrogen increases uh, androgen receptor binding affinity. Mm. So that means the, the androgens attached to the androgen receptor a little bit longer and express, express their effect into the cell a little bit longer. All right, well, thanks for clearing that up about what those high testosterone dosage cycles are like a lot because, you know, a lot of people say, you know, how can I get big, you know, and, and you know, everybody knows, you know, you got to have more, if you want to be a bodybuilder, not a, not a men's physique guy, and you want to have that thick muscle uh, yeah. that does not look, you know, it looks like you're on gear. It doesn't look like you're a fake natural, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, a gram it doesn't look like you're on SARMs. Yeah. Yeah. A, gra a gram or more. You know, some of you guys, you know, have been told the wrong thing by some of these guys who talk about, you know, what their low dosages or whatever, and they're lying to you. Um, but, you know, a gram or more uh, is, you know, like the anabolics that you need for pretty much everyone. And so um, as far as hearing about your experiences doing these higher dosages like this um, and your blood work for them, I think that's really important for a lot of these guys to hear. Right. Right. So I, I, it, again, you know, it's not responsible to take two grams of gear. But as long as you do your blood work and yeah, you focus on the other aspects of bodybuilding, like training and, and uh, nutrition, especially micronutrient intake and health supplementation, um, then it's doable. And uh, especially if you're in a calorie deficit, that's that's the dosage you're going to be looking at when you want to maintain size or improve upon uh, your size and strength. But if you're in a calorie surplus, you don't need these high dosages. You can get away with 750 to 1,000 because most of my off-season guys are in a far lower dose than, uh, than 2,000 milligrams combined gear. Most of them are only on a gram of combined gear. And then, of course, we increase the, the growth hormone in the insulin because that's synergistic with a decent amount of growth, uh, testosterone or, or other steroids. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right, so moving to the next subject then. Um, something that, that you guys, Steve, has a lot of experience at because he has an iron will, okay? And this is fasting. You mentioned a little bit about this earlier. So mm -hmm. I remember my first experience seeing you doing these fasts because Steve does these fasts for fat loss guys where he will lose a lot of fat in a very short period of time. I know you said you experimented with DNP. You don't yeah. like it, so you do fasting instead. Right. And so I would see Steve... Because um, we, you know, a few years ago, Steve and I would have coffee at the coffee shop together every morning. Mm -hmm. And so when Steve was doing his bodybuilding routine, he would be doing his fasting and his wife would be doing her contest prep. And I'd be able to see both of these people. I'd be seeing their bodies changing, you know, because I'd see them every single day, every morning. Mm -hmm. And Steve was uh, doing the fasting and he wouldn't eat for like, uh, you know, four days straight or something like that. Yeah. And I would, I would say to you, you know, what would your mother say if she knew what you were doing? <laughs> she would feed me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So so how, how was that, man? Because a lot of people, like you said, that's unfathomable to them right. that, you, that you would do something like that. It was uh, shocking to me. People, people rather OD on uh, performance-enhancing drugs and stop eating for a few days. Um, so the, the main reason why I do this is simply just to reset my system um, because it improves blood work tremendously. I mean, within, f let's say you fast for five days or five and a half days, you know, you start on Monday, you end uh, Saturday morning. Um, 
you can improve your blood work by basically everything gets back into the healthy range. So let's say uh, maybe your CPK won't, uh, won't, won't get into the range because if, you, if it's 3,000 units per liter, you usually end up at like 1,200, you know. So you stop, you stop eating and then your body has a week to catch up on detoxification yeah? because you're not eating any, uh, any, any food, you're not training, um, and, and you know the only thing you take is some health supplements and maybe some fat burners to uh, speed up the fat loss and, uh, and supply a little bit more energy. Um, you were drinking so, a lot of coffee during the fast? Yeah, I was drinking a lot of coffee. Uh, nowadays, I take 50 milligrams of modafinil to uh, keep me going. Um, it doesn't really help with the fat loss, but it helps to keep you focused. Because, you know, when you, go, when you fast, you almost automatically go into ketosis within a day or two. And modafinil uh, at a low dose of 50 milligrams is, uh, is very beneficial when you're in ketosis. So it keeps you super alert and focused and productive all day. And then with a few coffees uh, to keep you going, uh, and, and maybe uh, a shot of growth hormone here and there to liberate more fat cells or more fatty acids into the bloodstream to provide additional ketones and energy for your body to use. Um, fat loss and the focus is, uh, is quite high. The, the focus you mentioned. So, so yeah. the, the way that your, your brain feels, you feel like, uh, would you say you feel like your brain is on PEDs? Yeah, right. Because and, your and ketones are so high and it, it gives you a lot more clarity compared to a carbohydrate metabolism. Um, so, you know, the, the, of course, the modafinils is a mild stimulant and the coffee is as well. Um, and a nootropic has a nootropic aspect. So when you're in, in deep ketosis the whole day and you're just burning through body fat, it, uh, it really keeps you alert. And it also keeps your mind off the desire to eat until usually uh, late at night when the modafinil starts to wear off and then you uh, might get a little bit hungry and bored uh, watching TV. Um, yeah. So that's usually the hard part. But if you can if you can ride out through five and a half days of no food and a little bit of fat burners uh, to keep you going, then uh, your blood work will improve, uh, improve tremendously. Uh, you'll lose basically the same amount of fat as you would uh, on uh, after two weeks or three weeks of uh, two hours of cardio per day. So you do it in five days. Um, so the fat loss is basically similar to DNP, but you just have to stop eating. And um, you completely reset your body uh, for the sake of a deload. So even though you're not eating any protein, the autophagy that happens when you're fasting will recycle all the dead cells and provide protein for your uh, cells that need to recover from the hypertrophy workouts and are a little bit behind their recovery. So you're literally catabolizing your old dead cells away and use them to grow new muscle tissue. And then you're completely regenerated for another, you know, six weeks to 10 weeks of heavy lifting. Awesome. So I do, of, yeah, I, I do it. I do it every three months. Oh, it's a regular thing for you. Yeah. Yeah. Every three months. And then, uh, you know, the fat loss is a, is a nice bonus, but it's mostly for health purposes and to speed up the deload. Because I feel that a deload uh, scheduled with a fast is about twice as effective as a, just a deload with eating. Even though, you know, it, it sounds counterintuitive because you're eating so many calories, but you're not training. But actually, the, the lack of calories, uh, which of course increases the growth hormone, uh, recycles all your dead cells. So you're basically taking all the shitty cells away that you uh, that are, that are killed off. 
and use the, 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 the remaining of the amino acids uh, for, for recovery of the, of the using the muscle cells. Talking about the, the brain energy that you were saying and the focus and um, you know, just your energy during the fast. So one thing a lot of people are searching for is they're searching for um, some way to focus. Like they're like, oh, I need a nootropic or looking for something like that. Because a lot of people, they notice, um, you know, when you wake up, when you first wake up in the morning, you've got your best hours of energy. And that's when you get your best work done. And then after, you know, three or four hours, you eat lunch. Mm-hmm. And then for the rest of the day, it's like, you know, you're, you're 50%. Brain fog. You're, yeah, you're 50% for the rest yeah. of the day. You know, you're not working at capacity. And for, the, for those people, you know, I have noticed similar effects um, to some of the things that you described from fasting mm-hmm. when I've been on a strict ketogenic diet. I've noticed, um, you know, an ability to focus and work at an ability and, and like limitless brain energy, Mm -hmm. um, uh, that is, you know, with carbohydrates, it cannot be matched. Even if I am drinking coffee, um, you you know, it feels like I drink coffee. Even if I didn't just being on a ketogenic diet, the brain is so clear. Uh, but I've never been into a really deep fast like you have been doing, like where, where you know you go five days with zero calories. It's can brutal. You, can you, can you, yeah, can, can you tell a little bit like day to day, like day one, day two, day three? You know how your energy level goes during that. Okay, yeah. So so the first day you're really motivated because you know you want to do this and you want to prove it to yourself that you can, especially when you do it the first time. And then usually, um, you know, evening time, Monday evening, uh, the hunger starts to set in, but. Now you have a cup of tea and then uh, you go to bed. You know, second day is the hardest because now your your metabolism is already picking up, but it's not really using glucose or uh, ketones for energy yet. So mm-hmm. it's frantically looking for glucose, which is already depleted after a day from your liver and then most uh, of the glycogen from your muscle. Um, so now it slowly starts to go into ketosis. You might get a headache, which I don't get because I'm always in ketosis because I eat a ketogenic diet. So the second day is a bit of a struggle. The hunger is the worst at that time. And then by the third day, you're definitely in ketosis. And then the hunger kind of goes away, but the lethargy starts to set in because your okay. muscle glycogen is gone. And you're, so like you're mentally, over- mentally you feel good on the third day, finally? Yeah. But, but physically, you don't feel good? You, don't, you just feel tired. Okay. Yeah. And, and every, what about, what about every, like computer work or something like that? Oh, man, it's super easy. Okay, so you're feeling like extra good at something like you're that. You're very productive during the fast. That's why I like it because you get so much shit done. And especially since you're not training and not cooking so much fucking food. I mean, you get a, a couple extra hours per day. And since you mentally don't get tired, you can work from 8 o'clock in the morning to 8 in the evening and then uh, and then go to bed. And most people, because they're such in deep ketosis, they might experience a little bit of sleep loss uh, after the third day. So, you know, some people prefer to take some Phenobut or GABA or 5-HTP, melanotan, uh, melatonin, not melanotan, too, too big of an erection to sleep, um, or, uh, or, or ketotifen or diazepam or whatever you prefer to sleep. Yeah, this is body <laughs> coding. Took me a minute to pick up on that. Okay. <laughs> I always make that mistake with melanotan and melatonin. It's, uh, the words are too close, but the effects are quite different. <laughs> one makes the wife happy and the other one does not yeah so <laughs> so you know after the third day it might be hard to sleep 
but even mm-hmm. if you only sleep four hours per night, you, you, you feel rested because you didn't really do much physically during the day. And, uh, and your brain only needs four hours, five hours of sleep to actually recover. Um, and then by the fifth day, it, it feels like you're three days out for a show. Okay, so so you feel bad then on the fifth oh day. Oh my that. god, yeah, you feel like fucking dead. Like you want you look at the mirror and you're like, I want this shit to be over. And then every fucking hour is a struggle. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it sounds like you were in serious starvation mode at that point, at the fifth day. It's not starvation, I call it clarity. Hmm. Because you know, like monks, for example, Buddhist monks, they eat one or two meals per day. So they're basically in ketosis, right? Because they, they do intermittent fasting approach and they eat very restricted calories. And the rest of the day, they're kind of praying and shoveling leaves from the temple. So if you want to know how a monk feels, you only need five days of fasting. And if you want to know how contest prep feels, you only need five days of fasting. So for those of you that think about doing a contest prep, stop eating for five days. If you can make it to the sixth day, you're mentally strong enough to do a contest prep. If you quit before that time, you will never make it to the stage. Never. Okay. Because you don't have the mental fortitude to ride out one or two fucking days of no food. So you would say that like a five-day fast is, would be like a good tester for getting, getting ready? If yeah. you can do that? Yeah. A lot of clients that I don't feel they have what it takes, I said, okay, fast for five days and send me your morning weight. I know exactly how fast the morning weight drops and which percentages in between which day. Send me pictures before and after. And if I feel they did it correctly, then I can take them as a contest per client. But otherwise, I'm not interested. I mean, geez, that's a tall order, though, man. I mean, you... that's why I only have three, four clients per, <laughs> per day. <at> a time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So, I mean, I mean, it's mostly was, it's it's for the beginners, you know. A lot of people that contact me that they're they're already experienced and they know what it takes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're just sick of the bullshit from other coaches, or they're they're really lost at what they're doing. So, you know, but the the first time uh, clients I say, okay, stop eating for five days, send me pictures every day, show me what you look like, show me how much weight you dropped, and if they can make it, they can uh, transfer the coaching fee for four months in advance, and then uh, we'll get started. But it's the easiest way to see who uh, who has the mental fortitude uh, to uh, finish a, a, a contest prep. Okay, so that that's one thing that I did notice. When we were sitting in the coffee shop and I would see you in the middle of your fast like this, I'd see Steve go from day one to mm-hmm. day five of his fast. That was one thing that I, I, would, I would see with my own eyes is what he is doing right now. He is, is like 100% all in there's no (laughs) there 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 really was no uh hesitation or no desire to do something else or or saying like well you know i think i want to do this fast but you know if it gets too painful then you know you might stop it it was like 100 percent um like the that's why i said before we talked about this the iron will Mm -hmm. because i really did see with my own eyes like someone who was so dead set on something that you know i had confidence i i could see it that you know you were going to complete what you were doing yeah so i only failed one time I, i've done maybe 10 10 fasts like this 12 and i think i only failed one time on the on the on the fifth day where i ate a jar of pickles 
<laughs> you know, before the, before the five and a half days was over, so that was on the fifth day, and it was like, oh fuck this, you know, I can't take it anymore. And then I had a whole jar of pickles, which has a fuckload of sodium, so the next day was nice and full. Um, but of course, pickles have very little calories, so you know, it's 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 uh, technically still a fast. <laughs> yeah. But the, right. other, but the other ten times I uh, yeah the first time I did a fast was five and a half days, and every other time was uh, at least five days as well. So what so what kind of uh, for somebody that's interested in, in doing that now because mm-hmm. I think I think there may be some people crazy out there who hear this and think maybe maybe I should do this because like you said it is crazy fat loss. I mean how much fat would you say that you you do lose? Um, I'm four that? four or five kilos. So so almost ten pounds of fat. So, yeah. so, so like a, a change in body percentage of maybe 4% body fat or 5% body fat. Yeah, about three, three, let's say three. Okay. And, and, and then what do you do, um, when you, when you finish, do you, you just eat a big meal, you, you go all out? No, 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 no. So because your stomach shrinks in those five days. Mm-hmm. So the first day of, uh, when you reintroduce food, I would stick to a ketogenic style approach because otherwise your blood sugar goes haywire. So first, you need to introduce protein, healthy fats, and vegetables again. Um, and then that first bite, even though it will taste very, very powerful, you probably can't even finish that first meal. Um, so I usually do like semi-cooked salmon, so they digest easy, with mm-hmm. some uh, some vegetables and a little bit of um, uh, some mixed nuts, you know. And then I slowly eat that, and then the second meal would be eggs. If I eat eggs the first meal, I go into hypo, because you get such a high insulin response from the egg whites that your blood sugar drops, so I prefer fish, mm-hmm. uh, salmon, the first meal, which has some fat to slow digestion down, and of course the vegetables and the fat from the nuts also slow digestion. And then the second meal can be eggs, and then uh, usually later I start to get a little bit hungry, so I, uh, you know metabolism picks back up. And then I eat eat some beef, which most of the pastors say I uh, don't don't eat beef the first day, but never hurt me. And then uh, you know I might have another meal. But usually it's about three or four meals. So it's, it's some fish, some beef, some eggs. Usually the first day. And then okay. the second day, uh, digestion is uh, pretty much good again. And since Sunday, I always go out with my wife, uh, you know, to have lunch and dinner. I just uh, have, uh, you know, my breakfast of egg whites and uh, two whole eggs. And then I have whatever the fuck I want. Nice. And, uh, yeah, so that would be, uh, you know, a nice uh, luxurious sandwich um, with uh, a nice salad on the side, hippie salad on the side, you know, beetroot and, uh, and goat cheese, that kind of shit. And then uh, wherever we feel like eating uh, in the evening. So what what advice would you give somebody that's thinking about trying to do this, trying to do some fasting? Um, now that you're experienced. So, first look up the work of Dr. Jason Fung. Uh, you can get that for free on YouTube. There's many seminars and lectures that he did uh, about fasting and the benefits of fasting. Yeah. And then if you want to do fasting for fat loss, um, in my private Facebook group, I have a maybe a 12, 12 or 8-page article uh, about fat loss or fasting for fat loss and which uh, PEDs you can use and which supplements you can use to speed up the detoxification and, and you know, how to control the hunger, etc., etc. 
If you're interested in the private Facebook group with 7 Yard Articles, you can uh, DM me your email address on Instagram and I will send you the details about how to join. No, it's not free, unfortunately. <laughs> but you can find most of my protocols in there and uh, fasting is one of them. Okay. All right, sounds good, man. Okay, well, this is going to be all the questions for today, guys. Cool. I want to thank Steve uh, very much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me, buddy. Um, yeah, and so reminder for you guys that if you want to reach Steve, it's at Vigorous Steve on Instagram, okay? And we're going to have the link to his Instagram profile in the uh, description of the podcast so you guys can find him there. If you would like your questions to be answered on the Steroids Podcast, go to steroidspodcast.com and leave a comment with your questions or email or private message steroidspodcast at gmail.com or steroidspodcast on Instagram. Until next time.